Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey, your host, and joining me, Aubrey Sampson, our co-host. Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? Nothing is wasted community. Aubrey, I've been so excited for our listeners to hear this conversation with uh, what's now become a good friend of mine, Josh Weidman. I know you're excited about this, Davey. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I got to witness the beginning of a bromance here. I feel like the a two of you kind of felt... Bromance, yeah. yes. You fell in love a little bit uh, as you, well, we as just, you talked. We love the Weidman family. Um, yeah. It was such a weird, cool God thing. They flew out here to go and record with us. And I was contacting, you know, our, our assistant who does the scheduling and stuff. And I was like, Hey, Holly, there's, there's no way this guy, this guy's a pastor in Denver, Colorado. There's no way he's like actually yeah. coming here because she put a little note that it was a local recording. And I'm like, yeah, well, sure enough, they can. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So that we end up recording with them in person and then going out to dinner with them and just having oh, this fun. great time talking about life. And you know, pastoring, you know, this can be lonely. And so when you Absolutely. connect with other pastors who yeah. also feel like the journey is lonely, and then you begin to have this kindred spirit and similar yeah. experiences, and you're like, oh my gosh, I found quickly, it feels like you found some life lifelong friends. Well, then he asked me to come out and that. speak, and we went out there to Colorado. I'm very um, jealous of a few that, weeks by later. the way. I know. It was just... Josh, I'm waiting for my phone call. Hey, there you go. There I you go. I want to go to Colorado. There's a great preacher right here. Right, Josh, if you're listening to this, which I know you are, Aubrey Sampson, <laughs> she, she'll bring the word. Um, so anyways, it's just so cool. And what's really cool is the church that he pastors, they also are going to be launching the Pain to Purpose course. Oh, church. very cool. Um, we've had some conversations about that. And um, Josh's wife, Molly, unless she's changed her mind since the last time we chatted, we've chatted, you know, a few weeks ago about this, but um, she's going to be, she's going to be spearheading or facilitating the pain to purpose course there. She just feels like really drawn to the ministry of nothing is wasted and helping um, to minister to other people in their pain. So I love that. It's so cool. Really cool. Really cool. Just the relationships that God brings in and out of your life. Speaking of that, Davey, you've got a lot of Nothing Is Wasted certified guides that are That's ready right. now to coach our listeners who are walking them. through pain, right? 19 right. of them. 19 of them. They have been so certified. So how can our listeners get connected to these certified guides and what exactly do they do? That's Tell me about that. That's a great question. Well, we have our course, the Pain to Purpose course. We have a framework or a pathway. It's a proven pathway now. The only reason it's proven is because so many people have taken it and they've just been like, wow, this is unbelievable. Love that. But what we found is that people often want help and they want help from somebody who has walked that same valley. So we've got a number of variety of different um, pain stories or, or you know, journeys that are represented by our certified guides. And so this is for, you know, those of you who are like, Hey, I would like some one-on-one -on -one intentional coaching through this, through my healing. So good. Um, and, and so you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash coaching and you can uh, purchase a coaching package and we'll match you with a guide that is that has walked through a similar story as you. And I'm it's telling so you. So fantastic. It's unbelievable. I can't believe God's really just done some incredible stuff to bring people into this ministry to help you 
listener, as yeah. you are walking through your pain, as you're trying to partner with God to take back your story. That's what we want to do. And I do feel like healing happens in community. Well, that's does. why the Lord has given us the body. And yep. so the fact that our listeners can find a coach to walk through a journey that they've been through and find healing, the Lord's yeah. going to use that. I'm so excited well, about it. If you want to find out more about that, we just released an entire episode about this recently, episode 148. And you can hear from some of our certified guides. You can hear about the vision of this and how you can connect with them. Davey, one of the things that Josh talks about in his story, speaking of leadership and speaking of walking with people, is the anxiety that he has experienced yeah. mm -hmm. as a pastor. And I feel like that's a really interesting topic to think about, not just the fact that pastors deal with anxiety, but the question of why do pastors struggle with, mm. uh, at, at a really rampant rate, it depression, is. anxiety, um, alcoholism, right. like what is going on there? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, most of us have seen multiple, multiple stories over the past several years, you know, and we've even featured some stories of pastors who have, um, you know, either... Uh, succumb to some kind of a you know moral failure, so, succumb to some right. kind of an addiction, or relapse into an addiction, or you know even died by suicide. And there's just, mm. first of all, I think a lot of people are surprised by that because they're like, wait, I thought you were a pastor, you had it all figured out, and you were, right. you, you know, had it all together, you had you it all together, sound. So, right, yep, right. That's exactly right. And there's so many reasons I think why. Um, but first of all, for everyone to realize. There's nothing special about pastors. <laughs> right, right. Really they isn't. are human beings, human beings walking with the Lord like everybody else. Yep. And I think that um, one, of, one of my mentors said, when, when, you're, um, when your inward life s stops um, matching up with your outward life, when there mm. begins to be some kind of a, a deviation, yep. then that's when you're heading down a trail where one of these things could take place in your life. That's, That's what you literally have to look the at. prayer that we have prayed over our boys since the day they were born, that they would match, that they would yep. be the same on the inside as they are on the outside. That is the biblical definition of integrity right, right there. That's exactly what it is. And, and, and so and, that's a good warning sign, right? For yeah. anyone in leadership that when suddenly your outside is not uh, revealing what's happening in here, one is yeah. masking the other. That's, that's a flag. It's a major red flag. And I think that pastors or people in leadership are um, more prone to these things because I think just the the mantle of leadership, the position of leadership begins to um, disallow for them, or at least they feel like it disallows for them to be able to be honest and vulnerable about their personal struggles for fear of yes. losing their position, for fear of losing their job, losing their livelihood, losing whatever, right? As mm -hmm. soon as they start seeing that deviation, that's a red flag to go, oh, I need to get some help. I need to talk about this with somebody. I need to have some safe people in my life that I can share vulnerably. But the problem is, is there's a very real fear because if you yeah. go to like your elders or if you go to the leadership of your church, then you're not really sure based on the culture of your church, whether or not that all of a sudden makes you disqualified for ministry according to them. And so you're just like, you, they're, so you end up hiding it or cloaking it or suppressing yeah. it. And that's why I think people in leadership are often more prone to um, some of these crazy moral failures. They're like, what in the world? Like, how did we not see this coming? You know? Um, I also 
think there is something I never want to blame systems, but I never want to be blind to the reality of systems, good, right? Yeah. Because sin does impact systems as Absolutely. well as it impacts individuals. And there is, there are some systems in which church folk, just like me, I'm lumping myself in this, have idolized church leaders, put yep. them up on a pedestal, yep. um, almost worship them because yep. they're anointed or God has given them favor or they're these charming personalities. Right. And um, in so doing, like like you're saying, uh, two things have happened. Uh, pastors have begun to believe their own hype, which right. I think we have to be real careful <sighs> about. That is not the Jesus way at all. Right. Um, but then as, you know, church folk that are underneath those pastors, we've given them our worship. We've allowed yeah. it to happen. And yeah. so somehow the whole system has to break, right? Absolutely. Like no celebrity in shepherding, period. That's it. That's it. And yep. I mean, it's our sin. So I don't know how to solve that except to look at the model of Jesus. Right. I was reading Luke 14 recently where Jesus was like, hey, if you're at the you know master's banquet, you take the lowest seat at the end of the table and yeah. wait until the master invites you. Like you don't put yourself up there right. towards the front. You don't elevate yourself. That's exactly and right. I feel like we've talked about this before, yeah. but you have to yeah. be so intentional about yeah. Uh, not allowing us to be worshipped, right, right? Right, and that and that brings a, a huge conversation into the picture for us. You and I have talked a little bit about this, but I don't think we've ever said this on the podcast. But this idea of like the the apest conversation, right? Right. That that the body of Christ should reflect a lot of different types of not just giftings, but also offices. Where yes. you know the apest. What 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 I mean by that is in Scripture it lays out the offices of apostle prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. That's an acronym, APEST. What we often see celebrated in the church and therefore elevated in the church is the pastor-teacher role. Yeah, that's right. And if you're a great pastor or you're a great teacher, then all of a sudden, man, you just kind of skyrocket to the top. Mm -hmm. Your church grows. and But there's not a whole lot. And this has been a personal wrestling for me because where I fall is a more pioneer leader, like an apostle. Yeah. Um, and, um, I'm also an evangelist as yeah. well. And so it's hard to find your place in that. Well, what, what I think is beautiful, lots of things are beautiful about the APES conversation. What's beautiful about it though, is that this is five different offices that play a part. That's right. That play Together a play a part. Together. And no one person is meant to be all of those except for Jesus. He Jesus was the, the only, only one, one that, who was APES. Only yeah. one that can fill the, fulfill the entire the gamut of that. And so yeah. that the, the, all of this is for us to recognize as leaders, as pastors, if you have any kind of mantle of leadership influence, you are not the point. Mm. So building your organization around you is just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. You're beginning yeah. to build a system that is ultimately, you're not like, you cannot hold the weight of anybody's worship whatsoever. So That's while right. we are not the point, we do play a part. Yeah. And just the other day, I got, I'm a teaching pastor at a church here. I got to go and teach at one of the locations downtown here in Indianapolis. And what I felt like is I felt like I was a, a, a pitcher coming out of the bullpen to kind of get a couple of outs and, and give him a I don't understand sports references, Davey. <laughs> so if you could say, no, just kidding. just kidding. I just played a specific role. You're there to serve. You Yes. Yeah. I think that's the attitude we have to have. We so are, refreshing. We, all of us that are children of God are called to be viceroys yeah. and under shepherds 
pointing all of the honor, all of the glory yeah. to Lord. Yeah. I love that Josh talks about some of the pressure and that the struggle, he faced as yeah. a pastor. He gets really vulnerable in this interview with you. It's really beautiful. Yep. So let's go ahead and listen to your conversation with Josh Whiteman. Josh, it's so great to have you on the podcast here in person. In person. David's in good Indianapolis, to be with you, man. <laughs> all the way from Colorado. Yes, all the way. Yes. Oh, my gosh. My wife and I man. came in, and we are stoked to be here. <laughs> Love your ministry. Thanks for having me on. Oh, man. Well, thank you. That's a, It's an honor. I had no idea, even when we invited you guys on, that you were familiar with our story or familiar with our ministry. Or yeah. It's so cool um, that God does that. In fact, we just kind of shared... Uh, uh, just a realization of a mutual friend yes. that we have, and yes. uh, just a, just a cool thing when God intersects. It is amazing. Spaces. Yeah, man, we've been tracking your story since obviously 2015, and what happened in your life. And my wife was pregnant with uh, what was our four, our fourth kid at the time. We now have five, but. Um, just pause for a second. Five kids. <laughs> yes. Holy, we'll ask about yes. that in just a yeah, minute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But she as a pastor's wife and we're you know both young pastors and just i think the the identifying with yeah. the pain that you went through and walking your story with you resonated with us mm-hmm. in a huge way and so we've continued to track your ministry and are grateful for what you guys do yeah. so thank you honor to be here man that's really that's yeah. just an honor to hear too yeah. it's really really cool um yeah. well i want to i want to find out a little bit about your family before yeah. we dive into your story Let's do it. you and i think it's very appropriate because you have recently re- re- you recently wrote a book called The End of Anxiety, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you just told me you have five kids. So I'm really intrigued to pick your brain about this, because yeah, for sure. the more you add to the numbers of your family, yes. the more anxiety can increase, for sure. uh, both in a very severe way, but also in, you know, in levity. It's really fun to joke about that as well. <laughs> it's true. But why don't you, before we dive into your story and how you battled through all of this, I would love to hear a little bit about your family. Tell us where you're at. Yeah, what for sure. Pastor, just yeah. yeah. So I pastor in the south side of Denver. Uh, I grew up in Colorado. Fell in love with a Colorado girl named Molly, uh, who uh, has been an incredible partner. We dated for almost nine years, on and off. Broke up six times. That alone gave me anxiety, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, I got the girl of my dreams. We got married, uh, and by God's uh, divine orchestration, we found out we were pregnant three months into marriage, and so. All of a sudden, here we go. We start having wow. babies. So we had our first son. His name was Ch- his name is Chandler. He's ten, and then on down the line, three girls in the middle, and then a son named Charlie. That is two. So ten, Jeez. eight, six, and two. <laughs> uh, so it's crazy. Or four and two. So it's crazy that you know our house is always a buzz. Yeah. But life is beautiful. We took up the pastoral role at Grace Chapel five years ago, just over five years ago. And get this, Davey, this was the church I grew up in. Oh, wow. So I, they called and said, well, hey, will you fill the pulpit for us? I was a teaching pastor at a church across wow. town. They said, will you fill the pulpit for us? I said, yeah, I'd love to. That'd be great. Then they uh, didn't call back. And I was like, what happened, right? And then, <laughs> what did I say? And finally, I called them and they said, well, we're actually considering you as a candidate for our senior pastor thing. And I was like, well, that's cool, but I don't know that I'm interested. But God knew what he had for me. And I was actually on an Israel trip. I know we have a mutual love there with Israel, but I was on an Israel trip, came back. I got really sick from that. I had to candidate in the midst of kind of a food poison thing that happened after that. And all that to say, it was a dark season, but God had nothing wasted during that to get us planted at the church I grew up in. So I got to pastor people like the sweet lady, Anne, who came up to me my first Sunday and said, don't you forget, I changed your diaper when you were a kid in the nursery. (laughs) You got to love that, right? (laughs) And so we pastor there and 
it's been fantastic. It's a true kind of rebirthing of a church. Yeah. It was a church that went through some hard things in the past. Wow. What a cool full circle, though. Yeah, it's cool. To be able to reinvest into the place that really invested in you spiritually. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I wouldn't be the man I am today if it wasn't for the, the years I had there growing cool. up. So, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, you, I, I really want to dive into all this because, again, this book, the, the End of Anxiety, you know, it's intriguing to me because right now, especially in this climate that we're in, the season that we're in with, you know, COVID, racial tensions, yeah. we've seen a major uptick and in increase in anxiety. Mm-hmm. I think there's like a, this kind of constant hum mm-hmm. that sits pervasive with all of us, yes. even folks who maybe in the past have never struggled with it. Yep. Some are finding that trauma, unaddressed trauma is kind of getting their, their life is getting pressed in. So that's coming up. Yep. Some are finding like, wow, I've never dealt with this thing of, you know, anxiety before, but now I'm feeling it. Oh, this is what anxiety is. Yeah. This is what people talk about. And they're not sure how to navigate those feelings because they're very overwhelming. Yeah. I'd love for you to kind of take us back on your journey. Sure. When did it, when did that begin for you? Talk through a little bit of, you know, how that, how that began to surface. Well, I, I don't think I knew it was anxiety when it first started to surface, but I would say it started to surface when I was a kid. I used to have major anxiety over all sorts of crazy things. Uh, kids have anxiety, right. kids yeah. worry about things, but mine was a little bit uh, out of the ordinary. My mom at times would say, Josh, you're such a worrywart. But mm. then she would explain to me what worrywart was. She just wasn't trying to be condescending. She said, let's, let's try to change this about you. You know, you're worrying about things that are in God's control, not your control. Let's change this. And I had fears over the craziest things. And so I think I, I probably dealt with some anxiety all through my childhood years. Is that, is that how it manifested as a child? It was more like kind of fears, like you yeah. would step out and do things? or you It was, would, it was a constant worry. Like, oh. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't I, so much as scared. It was just, yeah. there's always a tape playing. You know, oh, there's okay. always a negative track in the background right. saying uh, s- s- kind of a fearful thought. But then God continued to propel me into ministry. I was in um, ministry. I was leading the first student-led nonprofit in America that was in Littleton, Colorado at the time of the Columbine oh, shooting. Wow. And I was a junior in high school yeah, in Littleton yeah. when the Columbine shooting happened. So we're running this ministry and all of a sudden the shooting, which at that time, you know, that's that pre-9-11. Was, yeah, that's the before, biggest thing right? that anybody had yeah. really ever heard of or experienced. Yeah, now. we hadn't seen a shooting like for that. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and it's been my backyard. That was, I didn't go to Columbine, but I went to a school five miles from there. Uh, that Bible club that we started there from our ministry was the largest Bible club at the time. That caused all sorts of media attention to say, yeah. we got to talk to students in Littleton. I remember, Davey, I was sitting in my family room, watching the news, watching people run out of the school with the hands above their head, literally stepping over some bodies of those who were killed outside. And the phone to our little ministry, it was a little landline in our basement, was ringing off the hook. Uh, First call was Oprah's assistant saying, can you guys get on tomorrow? Then it was like 40 interviews, CBS, NBC, you name it. I mean, they all wanted to talk to students from Littleton, especially if we claimed Christ. Right. Well, I say all that to say that was a season for me of... Uh, probably anxiety, but I had to channel it uh, or at least stuff it, right? I couldn't deal with it. And I had to keep moving and we had to keep uh, going forward. It wasn't until maybe two or three years later after the shooting where I really started dealing with what happened there and maybe some of the related anxiety to that. Then I got thrown into my first pastorate, had some spiritual abuse, which I know you guys have talked about on this program before. 
that caused anxiety. So I think to answer your question that with, you know, I, I gave you a lot of story there, but I'd yeah. say it's always probably been something that had some real estate on the property of my life. Uh, it's anxiety has had a mainstay and I've had to figure out how to use it, either channel it for good or stuff it down so yeah. it doesn't get in the way of ministry. Do you find that that's the case for like, uh, you know, I know that one of the things you're also what a certified biblical counselor yeah. is that okay? Yeah. So you not only pastor people right from a pulpit and preach right. and you know lead ministry and stuff, but you also counsel people face to face. So I'm sure you're encountering this a lot as oh, a counselor crazy. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And and so just kind of curious in your experience as in your training, um, do you find that there that anxiety can be in some ways connected to a a personality propensity? Can it also be, is it, is it more like there's, there's been some kind of weird trauma that's happened as a child that's been underlying? There's, yeah. Is it all of those things? Is it, yeah, you know, what do you, what do you find as yeah. far as like the root cause of most people's battle with anxiety? Yeah. Well, I'll make a statement, then I'll answer the question. I think you're right. We're dealing with anxiety like we never have before. In fact, I just heard from the uh, executive director of the ACBC, which is the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, Dale Johnson. He was just telling me on a call last week, he said, we actually have seen an increase or he read about an uptick in anxiety meds by 45% just since the beginning of COVID. New York Times said that people are dealing with anxiety uh, like they never have before, calling us the Zanuck nation, you know, this, this pro... We're no longer Prozac nation. Mm-hmm. We're now this anxiety-stricken, we all need Xanax to get through the day. So I think it's, it's affecting more people than it ever has. I think it's, um, it, it comes from four sources, and I lay these out in the book. Okay. These, are, these are Josh's kind of take on these four sources. I think anxiety comes from circumstances in our life, things that we can't control. So things like a pandemic that overcomes the world, yeah. things like the stock market going crazy, things like my job being out of control. There could be circumstantial anxiety. Second is relational anxiety. These are when relationships go off the church, off the rails. Uh, something's awry in my friendship or with my extended family. And for me, if I'm being honest with you, that's probably the area where I've probably dealt with the most anxiety. I I explain myself as a recovering people pleaser who has relapses all the time, you know? So when all of a sudden I feel at angst with someone else, that's when uh, I will have a spike in anxiety. And I think a lot of people find themselves in the relational camp. Yeah, yeah. But then there, there are two other camps to mention. One is what you were talking about. Is there a personality type that has a propensity towards it? Um, perhaps, but we're all broken humans. We all have sin as a part of our story. We all have things that we can get worried about and fearful of. The third thing that I say is, is kind of the outer man or the physical, the physical makeup that affects our anxiety. And I do think there are some people who have things in their body that causes the, the outer man, as the Bible talks about it, that causes them to have higher levels of anxiety. And that's where a doctor's needed and, right. and there can be help. So you're that. referencing like physiological type Correct, things, yeah. you know, systems yeah. that maybe are a little bit yeah. out of balance or chemical, yeah. res, you know, heightened arousal because of chemical responses. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and sometimes we, sometimes we can take care of that with natural things and diets and exercise and things like that. Sometimes we need more help. So I don't know, it's a personality thing, but I think there is a physical thing at yeah. times in the outer man that will give a propensity towards anxiety. But the fourth one I think is the most important and we shouldn't miss it. And I think Christians often step over it. And that is um, that, that, that sin or the consequences of sin cause anxiety. Mm-hmm. 
And so uh, while, while we can have circumstantial, relational, or, or physiological uh, things that cause anxiety, sin is in the world. The consequences of sin can cause us anxiety. So my own sin and the consequences of those things, even if I've repented of it, um, I can have anxiety over having to live through the consequences. And that's a part of my story. I'd be glad to share with you. But living, uh, living through that or living through the consequences of someone else's sin, yeah. right? Sometimes anxiety is in our life because we have to live through really hard things that someone else chose to do and we're affected by their sin. So I think these four causes of, of anxiety are real. They can all be present in a person's life or there can be one main one that is present in a person's life. But in all of them, the gospel is beautiful. In all of them, we can press forward and find the hope of Christ, whether it's a physical problem or a consequence of sin problem or anything in between. This interview, like most on our podcast, is filled with pain that eventually led to purpose, but only after intentional recovery. Oftentimes we mention counseling as a resource that we recommend to use as a part of any recovery process. I can't even begin to tell you how valuable Christian counseling has been for me as I learned to navigate the loss of my late wife, Amanda. And since then, it has proved just as beneficial for Christy and I as we're learning to create healthy and healing rhythms for our life. Christy and I have decided in the wake of COVID-19 to try another type of counseling that doesn't involve in-person meetings. So we have partnered with an incredible online worldwide organization who is sponsoring this podcast, Faithful Counseling. They provide virtual counseling with licensed therapists who are certified by their state's boards to provide therapy and counseling. Faithful Counseling is designed as a solution for people seeking traditional mental health counseling who would prefer hearing from the perspective of a Christian. If you are seeking a mental health professional who is a practicing believer, Faithful counseling may be a great option for you. Once you are matched with a counselor, in 24 hours or less, you can connect with them anytime via your computer, tablet, or mobile device, through video calls, phone calls, or even text messaging. They also have weekly group in our sessions, where members can learn in a group environment with a counselor about various topics that we all face. Just to clarify, Faithful Counseling is not a crisis line, but it can be an incredible resource during your healing journey. Faithful Counseling costs $65 per week, and financial aid is available to those who qualify. You can apply for that aid during the sign-up process. To learn more, go to faithfulcounseling.com slash nothingiswasted. If you sign up through that link only, you will receive 10% off of your first month of counseling for being a part of the Nothing Is Wasted family. Again, that's faithfulcounseling.com slash nothingiswasted. And now back to our interview. Well, there's, there's two of these that you mentioned are very much part of your story. I'd yeah. love to dive into both of these. Sure. Why, why don't we talk first while we're there on what you just referenced, that some consequences of sin. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because um, you're, you know, you're referencing both, like you said, personal sin, right? That yeah. like there's things that each one of us, mistakes we've made, sin that we've committed, you know, that we bear the consequences of that. But then you're also talking about, you know, just the fact that there's sin present in the world, the brokenness right. and fallenness yeah. of this world, that we all kind of experience consequences right. of that. Yeah. Specifically in your own journey, um, where has the consequences of sin really 
kind of come to a head and, and cause some anxiety in you? Well, the greatest one was the probably the greatest mistake I ever made. It was in 2017. Um, I made the foolish decision to give time and attention to a woman that wasn't my wife for a 15-day period of time. And uh, by God's grace, he stopped me from my foot slipping and it being something that it shouldn't have been. But I, I she wasn't my wife. I, 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 I thought it was a friendship I had under control. And then I allowed my emotions to get more entangled than they should have. And I, that to be honest with you, David, that wrecked me because I had to first come clean with the Lord. I had to come clean with Randy Patton, who we've mentioned on here, a mentor of mine. I had to come clean with my elders. I mean, hundreds, if not thousands of people are aware of, of these, this moment where I was, I was foolish, right? And I remember in my moment, this moment in my car where I was pounding, I was driving my little 2002 Toyota Corolla and I'm pounding the ceiling and I'm saying, God, help me, help me, help me. And my anxiety was over control. I, to be honest, felt trapped as a pastor. I felt like there's no way I can ever get out of this. I'm stuck, and and not that that's an excuse for my sin. Um, my wife deserves my full attention, and by God's grace, uh, my wife forgave me. You know, my my father-in-law forgave me. My brother-in-law, who's also a pastor, forgave me. I mean, I had to within days start telling them what I had done, and and then cut it off and have no other contact, of course, and get after that. But that, that's a sin that I own, right? That's something that I hate about my story. It was f- downright foolishness um, for me to not give my wife the attention that she deserved. So I dealt with anxiety right after that. By God's grace, I had a circle of people that helped me find truth and repentance quickly and the fruit of repentance and the fruit of the gospel and the sweetness of repentance over the following years was so sweet. Um, And then uh, it reared its ugly head again. Um, It reared its ugly head again in the middle of writing this book. I had signed the contract to uh, write this book on anxiety And then in the middle of writing this manuscript, there were people from my past mistake that decided that they wanted to bring it up and talk about it. And uh, I... Of course, which is no no coincidence, right? Yeah. It's definitely a ploy of the enemy to try to distract you from this work. Bro, I was ready to be done. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm in, I'm out. Um, one of our worst nights, which I'd also be glad to share with you, was um, was a night I had a panic attack in the midst of that. I had people telling me, uh, and still to this day, Davey, I get emails. I mean, this morning on a flight flying here, uh, someone wants to throw sin back in your face, and and we've repented of it. I've talked about it publicly. My right. my hours, my elders did over 600 hours of investigation just to make sure. There wasn't something worse or more disqualifying. They came back and said, you're not disqualified from ministry. We believe that you've lived a life that's, uh, you, you made a, a really stupid, sinful decision, an instance, but it's not a character decision. But you you have to press in and you have to keep running to the cross and showing people uh, the wickedness of sin and the beauty of righteousness. Yeah, so and um, and Randy Patton, I mean, he he's an amazing mentor of mine, a biblical counselor, and a mutual friend of ours, but he was so faithful to us to walk us through some of those darkest days. And, um, and so I want to finish it by saying the gospel is beautiful and Christ forgave me. Um, my wife forgave me, but all of this still brought on a consequence, which was mainly anxiety. Um, and even though I was forgiven, I had to walk the consequences of that. And I called my dad, I standing at the carousel today, waiting for our bag to come down uh, from the plane. I called my dad. I said, dad, I got this email. 
on the plane today, just rattled my cage from somebody 11 months ago bringing something up, right, about about something that was dealt with from years ago. And he goes, Josh, remember King David probably dealt with his own anxiety and the sword never left his house. And maybe this is something that the Lord's doing to use you to show you the beauty of the gospel, even in the midst of your own brokenness. So, so yeah, so there's, there's the most broken part of my story. I'll be honest. I've never shared that on a show before. I've shared it with our church before, but first of all, thank you for sharing that. I can even tell just as we're talking about this, the way that you're sharing this, just the brokenness that you, yeah have over that. And I also think it's an unbelievable thing that everybody around you, the way they handled it, right. With a lot of, um, a lot of discernment, a lot of, you know, like what you said, your elders with 600 hours of investigation, looking into those things, but also handling it with grace and handling it with, you know, the the power of the gospel. That's like, Hey, we're going to walk in this together and we're going to walk in restoration. I think is a beautiful picture of it yep. and also a, a an example of what the church should do yeah yeah they were you know, there's something there's a lot of other pastors that'd be sitting at this table and their story would be completely different yeah yeah you're right i wrote in the thank you part of the book thank you to my elders i call them my angels because they wow. believed my ministry wasn't done and they believed that there was still more there and i'll tell you david my my marriage has never been sweeter the, f- the hedges around my marriage are so strong now, um, but also just the ministry that I have. I can sit across uh, a counseling office with people and have a, a way to empathize with their anxiety or their brokenness or their sin in a way that I probably didn't before. Yeah. But that's the whole idea, right? God, God doesn't waste anything. He makes the gospel beautiful in right. the midst of our brokenness. Are you able to put your, your thumb on what, what particularly is the anxious thoughts what are those anxious thoughts about in this situation yeah you know specifically like can you kind of untangle it a little bit or is that still something that you're oh for sure well there's probably a million of them but i talk about in chapter eight in the book um deleting the negative tracks in our life and i i use the illustration of those old cassette tapes that we had and i talk about how when i was a teenager we'd make the mixtapes for you know the the girl you had the crush on (laughs) and then when you broke up with the girl you'd like unwind the tape out the window Uh, i mean that's i grew up in the cd era so you know i had to i mean we definitely had taste but by the time i was dating well, it was dude, definitely you, you the, snap just them, snap right? it right yeah, just, exactly like, i'm done with you right and you snap that cd you know uh, cds tapes whatever yeah. i mean i think we have these tracks you know yeah. playlists to use yeah. things of today i mean i think we have these things that play in our mind over and over and over there might be dozens of them frankly so to answer specifically what they are may be hard but i think they all come back to usually an identity problem in Christ. Like we, we, anytime anyone's dealing with anxiety, I usually go after their worth in Christ, who they are in Christ. Cause that track's not playing. Yeah. Right? I guarantee that track is not That's playing incorrect. about who they are in Christ. And they're, they're believing the lies about who they want to say that they are yep, exactly. in a negative way or who other people Brothers. say that they are. Yeah. And they have to play uh, the positive track that, yeah. that God's, God's doing something in all of our pain. He's making us more like Christ. We are his Colossians 1 13. We've been transferred from the domain of darkness, right? And you're now in the light. So live like it. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't mean my anxiety has gone forever, but when I get my identity in Christ, it changes my perspective on everything. That's so good. Yeah. I think for me, that's probably one of the biggest things I would struggle with if there is an anxiety, an angst or an anxiety in me is this idea of like, you know, re- like a reputation, yeah. right? And your reputation being built around what others think about you yeah. 
or what, you know, you want this perceived self that you want to, you want to show up in the world as, yeah. right. As I want to, I want to be a role model or I want to show myself to be a role model. And yeah. so I can't let any amount of failure or any amount of, mm-hmm. you know, imperfection be seen through this. And so, man, I, if somebody sees that, that's going to destroy this, yeah. you know, which is, I think why it's so beautiful to just, even in the brokenness of what you're sharing to yeah. say, Hey man, we're like, we're laying this out publicly yep. to try to combat any form of that, you know, that form of anxiety. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and the cure for that, as yeah. you've already mentioned, is this idea of finding your identity in Christ, yep. not in who other people say you are, not yeah. who this thing that you're demonstrating, you're projecting yep. that you are. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I was doing an interview once with Julie Slattery. She's an author and has okay. a ministry called Authentic Intimacy. But I was doing an interview with her once and we finished and I don't know what I said, but at the end she goes, you, you deal with imposter syndrome. And I said, well, wait, what, what, what's that? You know, I was all worried. I was like, well, you're, yeah. now you're reading my mail. What are you talking about? Yeah, she right. goes, you're so afraid of being seen as an imposter and as seen oh. as a fake. And it's exactly what you were just yep. saying. Yep. I think, you know, that is something that anyone that ha- deals with that relational anxiety, but for sure for me, um, I think there has been most of my life, this feeling of uh, a sense of, I don't want to be found out as an imposter. Yeah. Yeah. And there, yeah, there have been sins and things in my past I hate, but yeah. um, by, but I've repented. I've seen the fruit of repentance. And I think now I'm living in the freedom, Davy, of this idea of, Almost like um, St. Augustine kind of living, like, I'm a broken man. You can talk about my brokenness if you want, but I'd much rather focus on the gospel of Christ and the beauty of that. And I think for any anxious person, they have to realize acknowledging your brokenness is key to getting through your anxiety, but don't just acknowledge it and stop there. You use your brokenness to then point out the beauty of the gospel. Wow. Wow. That's so good. Is there an element at which you know, if we're kind of camping here a little bit, um, that anxiety can form because you are trying to, uh, keep in the dark, some things that absolutely need to be brought to light. Yeah. Yes. And, and what do we do about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, anxiety comes because of guilt and shame. Okay. Guilt is a verdict. Um, so we are guilty. We talk about guilt as a feeling, but I think it's best biblically to understand guilt is it's a verdict. I'm, 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 I am guilty. Yeah, that's good. But yeah. the feeling that comes from being guilty is shame. Oh, wow. Okay. And so so I am guilty. The Bible tells me I'm guilty. I already I, know that. All of sin. Yeah, I'm we've sure all sinned. That, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's shame that comes with my sin, mm-hmm. right? And then what happens is when we play a game with shame, when we try to keep it like a balloon underwater, right. you know, uh, and we, it, that's where anxiety comes. We try to hide mm-hmm. it. We try to cover up. We try to not let people see that we're shameful. Yeah or let them know that we're guilty. And for sure, I think that's a major cause of anxiety Mm -hmm. for Christians. uh, I think for all people, but I think for Christians, and here's why specifically for Christians, we know the truth that we've already been set free. We already know that we're guilty and therefore there's someone else who's paid the price for us. But then we go on and we know that truth and yet we have this tension of why, but I don't want people to know what I really dealt with or what I really did. And the the way you're living is clashing with your theology, which will Mm. then cause this manifestation of anxiety in your life. Wow. That's so, that's so good. So insightful. Like I think, um, you know, I think when we begin to confess the, like, it's almost, it's like one of the biggest, you know, if you recognize that in yourself, one of the biggest ways that we combat 
that anxiety is to truly just walk in the freedom that Jesus is inviting us to walk yes. into. And so anxiety can, if we look at it in a different way, yeah. can become an invitation from the Lord. Right. It's like this alert or signal where the Lord's going, yes. hey, I want to invite you yes. into something that's going to set you free. There's yeah. going to be some deeper healing. Yeah. And the key to this is, okay, let's, let's confess those places where there's some, uh, um, inconsistencies or incongruencies yeah. between what you, what you know to be true, what you believe, what you say you believe and what yeah. you, and how you're walking. And so that's just, you know, one type of way that we can find freedom from anxiety. That's yeah. so, wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when, when I was writing this book, The End of Anxiety, the editor came and said, it doesn't seem like you've found the end of anxiety. <laughs> I don't know that you yeah, titled it. Heaven? <laughs> I don't think you titled your next it. book? <laughs> Here it is. Heaven. We're getting to heaven. Yeah. But, but to your point, yeah. I, I did say back to the editor, I was like, you're right. I never found the end because mm. I, will, I may always deal with it. But the chief end of all things is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Wow. And so if God allows me to have a little bit of anxiety for the rest of my life so that I have to keep leaning in on Him, like mm. you said, that's worth it, right? That's wow. worth it. Now, I've learned to manage my anxiety better, yeah. uh, and there are tools that I've put in place that help me get past it better. But, but like you said, if the Lord uses anxiety as an invitation to say, come closer, draw near to me, that's worth it. And I'll live with a low level of anxiety wow. just so I can have a greater dependence on Christ. Wow. That's so good. You mentioned something that I'd love for you. We've not talked yeah. about this at all on this podcast. And I think maybe you can give us some explanation into this, but you mentioned this idea of feeling trapped as a yeah. pastor. Yeah. I'm assuming you're talking a little bit about maybe some of the things it was almost like a, some escapism mentality of trying to get out of this thing that, mm -hmm. but, and I, and I, frankly, I hear pastors talk about this a lot. Yeah. They don't yeah. ever talk about it publicly. Right. Right. Nobody, no, nobody in sitting in the seats in, in the congregation yeah. understand that this is how pastors feel, yeah. but you got to understand that this is the conversations <laughs> pastors have totally, with each other man. all the time. Can you kind of eliminate totally. that a little bit? I'd like love share to. your yeah. own journey with that. Yeah, I'd love to. And you're right. We don't talk about it much. And, and I want to acknowledge why. I think the main reason is we never want to hurt our sheep. We never right, want to hurt the right. people. You don't want it to sound like, oh, I got to get away from yeah. you guys. That's not the case. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so, that's a good point. But, but, so, so hear that. I mean, we love, we love those who we pastor, but pastoring is one of the most uh, trapping jobs I think there is, especially in a senior pastor role. Like I've served in, like you served in to, to lead and to teach and to preach to people where they are expecting you to nurture their soul on a, a regular basis. They're expecting you to be there every time they call. Um, they're expecting the fast email replies. Um, they, they say things that are very well intended about what you mean to them as a pastor, but you realize like, if I leave this post, if I move on, I can do some great spiritual damage. At yeah. least you feel like that. Right. right? right. And I don't know, it's maybe for some, it can be a complex of uh, yeah. making too big of themselves or thinking too highly of themselves as Romans 12 says. But, but I think for the most part, it's usually like you, you get this fear at some point, like, wow, God's, he's directed me to care for these people. And the weight of that is so yeah. heavy yeah. and it does feel trapping. It's a beautiful trap. Uh, but I'll tell you, you know, two and a half years into at Grace yep. Chapel, I've now been pastoring, um, I guess, uh, man, almost 15 years. And um, every church that I've pastored, there's usually a time where I, that I'm overwhelmed by the sense of feeling trapped. And, and you press into that and say, God, I feel trapped. Mm. But then I realized, John 11, you're the gate. I'm not the gate. Oh, that's good. You know, you're the one who's caring for these sheep. I'm not the one who's caring that's for great. the sheep. And so even in the moments, and I've had some this summer, to be frank with you, and, and even over the last year of like 
God, please help me. Like, how do I, how do I do this? The pressure's too intense. And then it's just like anxiety. It pushes me back to a greater dependence on him and uh, realizing these are his sheep. Right. These are his sheep. So yeah, but it is a, it's a pervasive feeling for pastors for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a heart for helping others navigate their personal crisis, but for whatever reason, don't have the means to do so or want some additional training on how to help others? If you have a home church that you attend, we would love to partner with you to bring the Pain to Purpose course to your church. I've been on the phone this week with multiple pastors who want to launch the Pain to Purpose course in their church, but they're struggling to find the right facilitator to guide the class or small group discussions. I wonder if your church would launch the course in a heartbeat if someone like you approached them with both information on the course and the commitment to help launch and facilitate it. I realize this is a big ask, but this could very well be part of the purpose and mission you're looking for on the other side of your own valley. You could help launch this course, and we want to show you how. Imagine being the catalyst for a healing movement in your spiritual community. Imagine witnessing people with wounded hearts finding wholeness, coming to know Jesus more personally, and getting released with a renewed sense of purpose and mission, all because you helped to create an environment that was safe for them to unpack their pain. One of the things we say a lot at Nothing Is Wasted is that your redemption story begins when you take your pain and turn it around by helping others in theirs, and this is a perfect opportunity to do so. If you're interested in partnering with us to bring the Pain to Purpose course to your church, we will help you with everything from how to approach your pastors to what to say and how to get them excited for the course. Just text COURSE to 66866. Right now, pull out your phone, text COURSE to 66866. And as an added bonus, if you help us get the course launched at your church, We'll give you your choice of either free access to the Nothing Is Wasted partner program for an entire year or two free coaching sessions. Again, text COURSE to 66866 and let's start a healing movement together. Let's kind of untangle a little bit of the relational um, Yeah avenue of how you have dealt with anxiety and how you typically see people deal with anxiety. You mentioned that you're a, uh, you're, what did you say? You're, you're overcoming people <laughs> yes, pleaser. Yes, you're recovering, recovering people. Yes. <laughs> people with relapses pleaser. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Please tell me what it's like to recover from that because I'm still trying to figure that one out. Right. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's brutal. Yeah. It's, I think people pleasing is a, a hard thing as a pastor. I don't think all pastors are people pleasers. Uh, I've worked for some who are not, yeah. right? Um, but there are some that um, they, that is the main thorn for them. That's the thing that keeps them humble because they're constantly pummeled by opinions. And right. you know, I mean, there's any given day, there's somebody telling me I'm doing something wrong. Right. But then right around the corner, the, there's somebody else telling me that that thing that person the said was wrong was thing. the greatest thing I ever did. Well, especially right now, right? Totally. Do we open up oh services? Do we not open up services? Oh my like, goodness. You're not going to win, yeah. right? This yeah. gonna, you're not going to win with this yep. one. Right. Um, and so, man, that's tough. Yeah. So just realizing that God's bigger than people has been a huge yeah. deal for me. People have always been bigger to me than God. And I think uh, some of dealing with my anxiety was dealing with a small view of God and a problem in my heart where I probably made God uh, confined or um, nothing more than a mentor or someone that I talk wow. to when things get rough. Yeah. Um, 
but he's not the main opinion. And that had to change for me. And I think has to, I think I continually have to work on what does it mean to hear his voice over every other voice? That's so good. Can you talk to, to the degree you feel comfortable? Yeah, sure. Um, we have talked a little bit about spiritual abuse recently, yeah. You know, but yeah, but it's still a very novel concept yeah. for a lot of our listeners. And um, I'd be really curious yeah. to hear your experience with that, sure, and how it plays into your journey with anxiety. Sure, yeah, yeah. I worked for a man um, who is a pastor in Chicago, and um, he was like a dad to me for a few years. Um, I got very close with him and his family, and. Um, he had great plans for me down to who he thought I should marry down to what he thought my, my life would look like, um, in the pastoral role. And I wanted to be like him in a thousand ways. Um, I thought so highly of him. It was a dream to work for him. I was able to, to team with another man and be involved in his sermon writing process and study process. I'm the preacher I am today because of this man, but uh, but there was some major spiritual abuse that happened there. I, I told Molly just recently, I said, uh, there were seasons of my life where I feared James more than I feared God. And um, that was not okay, right? Uh, and so that was a spiritual abuse. He used his, I think he used his position in my life to say things he probably shouldn't have said, uh, to exercise authority in personal areas of my life that he probably should not have exercised them. Now, I'll say through that though, God used it because right. I would be a, I would be just like him, if not worse, right. if it wasn't for what he did in my life, yeah. uh, th- what God did in my life through this man. So he kind of came in and and uh, used this man to kill what I say is the King Saul in me. You know that story, yeah, the Tale absolutely. of Three Kings? Yeah, so I love that yes, book. Yes, I, I love it. that book. Gene love Edwards. It. Yes, Gene right? Edwards, yeah. yes. That was, I lived that story. Um, oh. I mean, this was my King Saul. And he threw spears, you know, and I had a choice to make. Am I going to throw spears back or not? Mm. Now, I speak more publicly about him now. um, And uh, I did very publicly speak about him about, I guess, it'd be a year and a half ago when his elders started questioning him. And then he was soon disqualified from his ministry. And I spoke publicly and put a video up, you know, on YouTube that got 40,000 hits within a few days. And then I, I pulled it back down, you know, because I thought, okay, I'm not here to throw spears. That's never what I wanted to do. But I share my story of this is a real thing that happens in the church. And I think, I think it's a warning sign for pastors. Let's make sure we're, we don't exercise spiritual abuse. And it's also, uh, I wanted to speak to those who have been spiritually abused. It's a real yeah. deal. And we, yeah. we can't let that happen in the church. Yeah. Does, uh, how does that kind of create a blank of, of it, you know, a culture that could cause anxiety to happen in, in our hearts as well? Like... Did you experience that? For sure. That, yeah. You know, how did that begin to manifest itself for Well, for because I think more? you start to see a person who's in a spiritual role, you start to see them as a representation of God. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. And I suppose in some ways they are. That's been thrown back in my face, mm, right? Yeah. So I also will quickly say, while we represent God, yeah. um, we are not God, right? We are fallen humans right. and we make mistakes and right. we do sin. And we do need repentance and we do need the gospel. But I think for a person that's been abused, they can look at a, uh, a someone of a, a spiritual authority and right. be very impacted by them, maybe too much so, right. too much. And then it causes them to stumble in their walk with the Lord. Yeah. And I think that 
probably happened for me, Davey. I think, I think with my, the spiritual abuse that I experienced, I, th- I think that there probably was some um, realizing who God is and how he wasn't like the man who uh, abused me right, or right. took advantage of his role in my life. I had to separate yeah. a right view of God versus a view of God that was influenced by a man of God, right. if, if I can say it that way. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we talk about quite a bit, you know, in our Pain to Purpose course, we talk about the how we begin to um, kind of construct God yeah, or yeah. fabricate, you know, our image of God. Yep. And some of it is kind of fabricated for us in some ways in early development yeah. years, yes. you know, between ages zero and five, your yep. early influences, your caregivers, those kinds of things begin to construct this, this, this worldview and this God image inside of you that you mm-hmm. have to begin untangling later. Mm-hmm. And ultimately it all comes down to recognizing who God really is. Really is. Yes. What, what does God's word say that he is correct yeah. and divorcing ourselves from what, you know, what we've manufactured him to be, yeah. what we have thought yeah. all of our lives that he is. And oftentimes our God image gets, uh, you know, influenced by, men and women of God. Absolutely. These yeah. people who really were instrumental yeah. in our spiritual nurturing and upbringing. Yep. And we begin to project all of those things onto, oh, that's God, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. So that's I think the word for pastors, myself included, and I've learned this the hard way, but we have to be so careful about what we say, what we don't say, how yeah. we care for people, how we show them Christ. Because God does choose to use, it's it's a mystery to me every yeah. day as I get up and go to work and, and serve the church. It's a mystery to me why he uses me, right? Mm. I, I can give him a thousand better options, million maybe even yep. better options, but yet he chooses to use me in the con- context that he has. So I think we have to feel the weight of that, but right, to use a C.S. Right. Lewis term, um, just this idea of this weight of glory, there's a beauty in yeah. it, right? Um, but also I say to the person who's not a pastor, don't let some other pastor uh, try to... Sh- to, to be the person who defines for you what God is. Uh, we have to see the real view of God, like you said, see him as he actually is. Yeah. That's where transformation will come. That's so good. So as you were, you know, as you're recognizing, man, I've got, I've got these issues. I've got this problem with anxiety that continues to crop up here and there in different seasons and different circumstances. Um, you've already shared some things of how, you know, the, yeah. the, the mindset or the heart transformation that had to take place as you address those. But um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your journey and some of the key handholds through that journey, some of the okay. tools that you begin learning to help you kind of move through anxiety yeah, for sure. or find ways to overcome, you know, anxiety or specifically like in moments where you f- find yourself in like a panic yeah. situation, a panic attack or whatever. How do you begin? What are the tools that you use Okay, great. You know, to, to do that. How did you, how, one, how did you discover those tools? What was the yeah. journey on there? And then, and what were those tools? Okay, great. There's at least two coming to mind that I want to share, um, but I'll share them kind of in a story so we yeah. can interact with them. One, one would just be the power of the word of God. I mean, the mm. power of scripture. Randy Patton, you'll appreciate this because you, you know him. <laughs> he said to me in such a pointed way after one of my hardest meetings with my, the chairman of my elder board, my dad and Randy Patton, they're the three guys in the room. He said to me afterwards, we were talking about my anxiety and some of my past state, mistakes that I had made and the anxiety that came from them. And he said, Josh, I just wish you would run to the word or would have run mm. to the word of God a little bit more firmly and more quickly. And uh, I've learned that I have to run to the Word of God. Yeah. So through memorization, uh, through good. listening to the Word of God, uh, audio Bibles and apps like Dwell have become some of my favorite things to to use to calm my anxiety where I'm just in 
digesting scripture right. and it calms me down. Um, so that's one. And, and I know that seems obvious yeah. when we talk in a Christian context, but if we're very honest, that's, that's not that obvious, right. right? We often in anxiety run to what, what's the latest book I can read about it. Yep. What's the latest song that'll calm me down. Um, what's the latest method that I can do to calm right. my body. Um, but we have to remember the power of the word of God. It never returns void. Yeah. And so I've, I've heightened my level of scripture intake in my moments where anxiety is the worst, mm -hmm. right? Or my seasons where anxiety is the worst. Wow. So that's, that's, we can learn a lot from that in this season, <laughs> right? right? Instead, yeah. of, instead of raising your level of news intake, yes, raising your level right. of, of social yeah. media intake, yeah. which is where we run to so much yeah. right now, where we're trying to figure out what's the, what's, right. what's information, right? What's yeah. misinformation? What's false right. information? What's right information? Yeah. The, the question is, what's discipling you? Is the yeah, word of God good. discipling you or is Fox News discipling you? Right? Like what's discipling you and therefore what's comforting you? Mm -hmm. And if you look at Philippians chapter four, where it tells us be anxious about nothing in verse right. six, if you look right before that, it's telling us God is near. Oh, it says good. God is near and then says, so therefore be anxious about wow. nothing. So that, and then, then verse eight goes then on. Eight, to, this yep. is how you rewire <laughs> your thinking. These are the things that you should focus <laughs> yes, on right here. Right. Yeah. right. So that whole verse, the very kind of the cornerstone that should be on a quilt or a coffee mug verse for anxiety, <laughs> that part of the scripture is basically saying, come back to scripture. Mm. Or as James said, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Proverbs yeah. said the same thing. The second thing that I really want to point out, and there's many other things. In fact, in the book, I did lay out 40 48 different things that I learned or did wow. to help me with my anxiety. So those are all in the book. We have those also free on our website. Um, but I have I have learned the power of community. And this is the mm. one that I think I want to highlight the most is, yes, of course, the word of God is important. But after one of my worst panic attacks, I came home from the hospital. I, so just real quick, I, the story there is I had a panic attack. My wife tried to calm me down mm. in the kitchen, in the family room. Soon she said, can we go outside so you don't wake the kids? I mean, she's like laying on my chest trying yeah. to pin me down. I yeah. felt like I was drowning in quicksand. And um, I, I, I just kind of muscled her off of me. I lost my glasses somewhere in the midst. And I ran, just started running down the road, screaming. And I ran all the way to the hospital. Um, and uh, I couldn't see. I was overwhelmed by my panic attack, but also just my glasses were gone. Yeah. The darkness that I felt that night was overwhelming. But I showed up at the hospital weeping and said, I just need help. I just need help. I just need help. And they checked me in and I wasn't there for long. They said, you know, what you need more than anything is to go home and to go rest. And so I went home that night, Davey, my wife caught me, but then my friend Jason came over and Jason came over the next morning. And um, I, I talk about this in the book, but my wife's laying with me on one side and Jason comes over and he literally just plops himself on the bed next to me. And he's holding one arm. I'm, my other arm's being held by my wife and they're weeping with me. And we're just, uh, it's emotional even to remember that moment. Um, <laughs> But oh man, it was a. But we were we were we were just this had this moment of just community and mm. the power of the brotherhood. And he was so faithful to pray. I can't tell you anything he said. And when you deal with somebody who's in dealing with anxiety, it's not about saying the right things. It's yeah. about being present. And so, as a main handhold, as you talk about for getting through anxiety, it's just be present with other Christians. We had worship music playing. The Bible was being read. He was quoting scripture. But that's one of many examples right. of times where I got through my hardest moments because of the power of community that's designed by Christ. Right. That is right. The church and the power of community is designed by Christ. Yeah. It's one of our antidotes for anxiety, and we should take advantage of wow. it. 
I just kind of pictured in my head like a like an Aaron and Ur. Yeah. yeah. Moses' yeah. hands right yeah. there. You know, it's like that's a picture that we've always read in scripture of like this picture of victory. Yeah. Right. Which for you, this was a moment of like they're they're just beside you and kind of like lament. And yes. yet at the same time in the spiritual, it was like ushering you into these spaces yes. of victory too. That's a great example. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. I was I was just about to ask, you know, specifically about um, you know, if someone's listening to this and they're like, How can I help? my friend or my spouse, you've already started that conversation yeah. with community. Yeah. But I was thinking about, you know, Molly sitting in the room with us right now. How has she really walked with you hand in hand through all of this? How, what are some things that if someone's listening, man, my spouse is struggling with this right yeah. now. How do I help them? What would you say to that? Well, the first thing is don't worry about what you say, but worry about being there. I mean, the ministry for an anxious person, and we could even say, Anxiety's evil cousin, depression. Yeah. Um, the, the way you're going to minister to an anxious or depressed person right. isn't about what you say, but it's that you're, you're practicing the ministry of presence mm-hmm. and that you're there with them and that you're spending time with them. Let's just think about Christ for a second. I mean, I do believe Christ dealt with anxiety, but he dealt with people who had anxiety, yeah, right? right. Um, and he was so good at just being present. Right. Uh, let's think about Mary and Martha, for example, and Lazarus is dead and been dead for a few days. And what did he do? He wept. Yep. Jesus wept. Yep. And even in, though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Yeah, he knew exactly. He still entered into right. that, that emotion with him. Yes. It wasn't, here's a sermon for you. Yeah. Take what notes like, on this. What are you guys doing? Don't you know I'm <laughs> Jesus? I can raise him from the dead. Right. You know? <laughs> he wept. He was there wow. with them. He had compassion. So I think just being present is a main thing yep. that you can do. I think helping them see uh, the causes, if you can, of mm-hmm. their anxiety is helpful. Uh, I had a woman who called from North Carolina just last week and she had heard me on a radio program talking about this. And she said, my husband just, he's anxious, but he doesn't know that he's anxious, uh, but he can't work. He, he throws up every morning, you know, just this overwhelming anxiety. Um, she, he knows something's wrong, but he doesn't want to call it anxiety. I think sometimes you have to help help someone. And again, you can't preach it at him, yeah. but you got to help him say, babe, could this be the problem? Could this be what we're facing? And maybe think about those four categories we talked about and see where changing of motives, thinking, or behavior Mm -hmm. uh, could be done, right? Um, Maybe there are things relationally that need to change. Um, uh, Maybe there is someone for a little while that we need to say, hey, while I love you, I need some space from you because we're just... We're sinning by having some of the ongoing relationship that we're having and it's ending me with anxiety. Maybe it's circumstantially things need to change. Maybe it's time to go see a doctor and yeah. say, hey, I need help with my outer man and what's happening here. So I think I think you can, you can help the person who's dealing with it maybe get after the cause of it a little right. bit. And obviously, I'm a pretty big fan of biblical counseling. I was just so. about to, literally <laughs> about to say, we're on the same wavelength yeah, right now, man. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I'm sure you're a fan of counseling. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think sometimes you need someone else yeah. that'll help you yeah. get through that and they'll process it with you. Well, so. I've, I've never... I've not, since we've started this podcast, had a actual certified biblical counselor sitting here with yeah. me, and I'm a huge fan of yeah. that dis- distinction, cool. biblical counseling, yeah. right? Yeah. Can you, though, I don't want to butcher it and sure, yeah. explain sure. the distinction and why biblical counseling is such an important, like that distinction of biblical, rather than, you know, even just some Christian therapy yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Why are you, a, why did you choose to go that route? Thank you for and asking. And why yeah. do you... You know, why would you espouse that, promote that for other people as well? Sure, yeah. Well, biblical counseling is based on the entire premise that God's word is sufficient to address everything in our life, um, every problem that we face in our life. That's the premise uh, and the mindset of a biblical counselor. 
biblical counselors that are certified through the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, as I am, that those are those are uh, that's a pathway where we learn to study Scripture mm. and the sufficiency of Scripture to address many different problems. Yeah. But we're studying Scripture and we're applying it. Applying the power of Jesus for everyday life, whereas uh, Christian counseling, I think there is a there right. can be a great place for great. it, and yeah. certainly there uh, is a lot of great kingdom work done in Christian right. counseling. Often, Christian counseling will integrate psychology or other ideas and principles and, and methodologies alongside or with Scripture. So. While there may be a place for that, biblical counseling focuses on how does the Word of God address the problems mm. in the people of God yeah. and call them to greater hope in Jesus Christ. Yeah. So a biblical counselor usually, like when I sit and I counsel, I will say, you know, everything I'm going to share with you comes straight from God's word. That's my main primary focus. And for the most part, biblical counseling happens as a ministry of the church. Yeah. Um, so I'm connecting them to other people who are there to help them and support them along yeah. their journey. That's great. And, yeah. you know, we even before this, we prayed, right? Like, God, you, you're going to have to do what only you can do in all of this, yeah. right? And that's yeah. where God's word the Logos yeah. is this yeah. living and active, breathing thing that can penetrate to our heart, as you know, Hebrews tells us. Yes. And it's the thing that is going to divide the the bone from the marrow. It's yes. going to convict. It's going to be the thing that speaks into our situation mm-hmm. and exactly what we need. And it's what brings healing. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. you know, I think about like the very beginning of time when the Spirit of God, the Ruach, hovered over the yeah. nothingness, right? Yeah. And then and then uh, spoke yes. the word of God and it created yeah. out of chaotic nothingness, nothingness it created something and yeah. that same creative power from the word of God became yeah. flesh in Jesus. Yeah. And we also have God's word that's living and active in yeah. that way, the logos yeah. that can recreate in us. Yeah. There is something supernatural it is. that happens yeah. when God's word get, gets breathed into us, pushed into us, and it begins to, we utilize that to address the things that we're yeah that we're dealing with. And you've certainly seen the power of that, not just yeah. in your pastoral ministry, but in your own life. Right. I mean, that it, it does. It comes in and it helps us in our weakest moment. And it's, like you said, supernatural. Yeah. It's hard to explain. Can't explain. It just works. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything you would add to your question to me about how to deal with anxiety? This is my podcast, man. People don't ask me questions on this. <laughs> Dude, I came here for some advice. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness, but man. You, I mean, you've certainly dealt with it at some level. Yeah. And, and, and all that you've been through. Yeah. You know, I think for me, at, you know, in all, I don't want to be over general with yeah. it, but I do feel like that we can boil probably most, if not all of the anxiety that we deal with down to some kind of belief, yeah, a false belief that we're holding. Yeah, that's good. And sometimes it's so deeply rooted that it's hard to find those things. But, yeah. you know, it's it's when we, I kind of go to the the story of Elijah, yeah. right, where he has this powerful Mount Carmel experience where, yeah. you know, he faces down the the prophets of Baal and prophets of Asherah. He's so bold and courageous in his claims and even the way, the methods that he uses to, you know, call down fire from heaven, you know, and and partner that partnership with God. And then he runs ahead of the chariot with this supernatural strength, right? The chariot of Ahab. And then he finds out that Jezebel Mm -hmm. was not intimidated by this and and is out to kill him. (laughs) Yep. And it causes him to go to this place, right? He like, goes all the way to, I think, the the, the far south of Israel or something, yeah, the far yeah. north. He goes the opposite side yeah, of Israel. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember exactly where he opposite was. Where he went, but, yeah. 
And he lays down. He's like, I just want to, I want to die. Kill me now. Yeah. Yeah. He's experienced this like overwhelming depression and anxiety. Yep. And I love the way that God addresses it. He addresses it first physically. Mm -hmm. He's like, take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) Here's some food. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Go back to sleep. Right. And then what he does, once he kind of gets him a little bit more recalibrated physically, because he's got to be exhausted, which I think anxiety. Yes. Exhaustion contributes to that when Absolutely. we're when our schedules are going crazy, when there's just constant hum, when we're not entering into Sabbath rest, when we're not mm-hmm. right, we're not practicing those things. He addresses the physical, but then what he does is he addresses the lie that Elijah was believing. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. lie Come the on. whole time yeah. Elijah was saying was, I'm the only one left. Right. I'm the right. only one left. And God's like, Bro. Yeah. Obadiah is hiding 500 more out, more <laughs> right. prophets out. Like they, like yeah. there's more of you. Yeah, Don't good. believe that lie. That's the, the lie is what is causing anxiety in yes, you right absolutely. now. absolutely. And so I think, I again, I don't. I'm not the expert. I don't want to be over general on this yeah. because there might be some other, you know, avenues. But but I think ultimately, where you pinpoint this identity issue, I think that we're, I think the there is a deep rooted somewhere like yeah. false belief that we're holding. Mm-hmm. That is causing a skewed view yep. of how we're experiencing the things around us. Yes, yes. and this doesn't mean we're bad people. Yeah. It just means we're broken people. Yep, that we're fallen people, yeah. and that we've got to then take the invitation that God is extending to us to begin untangling what are those false beliefs. Which yeah, is good. why I would agree with you that God's word is the yeah, like the thing we got to go back to. That's the, the only truth. way that we yeah. can swap the the. Right, do the opposite of what Romans says. That it says that we swap the truth for a lie. We've got to swap right. that lie for yes. the truth now. Absolutely, know? I'm with you, man. I love that Old Testament story. That you're, you're absolutely right. It's false. It's a false belief of self, and I talk about this a little bit in the book. It's a false belief of the gospel, mm-hmm. right? So, it, which starts with a false belief right. of myself. Like right. I'm believing lies about myself, and all of a sudden you start believing lies about Christ and the gospel. Yeah. And we have to believe the true power of the gospel, the power of God's word, yeah. uh, to save us. So, yeah, that's, that's so good. good, man. That's good. Well, man, I just this this has been an awesome conversation. Thank I just you. love I love having you here. I love talking about the feel like we can talk about this for hours. But the listener doesn't know. I'm about to tell him we're going to go talk. For hours, <laughs> dinner. <laughs> be good. It's going to be great. But the book is called, and I would strongly recommend everybody picking it up, The End of Anxiety. If you are in any way, or you have ever, because it may manifest itself again, if you have ever dealt with anxiety, if you have a loved one who is dealing with anxiety, which pretty much qualifies all of us who are listening to this right now. It's true. You've yeah. got to pick up this book. It is fantastic. The End of Anxiety by Josh Weidman. And Josh, we're just so grateful to have you here and sharing Thanks, with us, man. Thanks, man. It's been a privilege to be here. Yeah, I hope to I hope to help a lot of people with yeah. this book. I also want to say we have a lot of other free resources and videos. My yeah. wife and I did a video for helping kids with anxiety. My dad and I did a video for helping teenagers with anxiety. Oh, all that's, that's awesome. free on our website. It's just endofanxiety.com. End they can go get all of that com. stuff. Yep. Perfect. Lots of free. We'll things. make sure we put that in the show notes. We'll put it on the podcast cool. page so you guys can grab it uh, very conveniently. Thanks, man. Thanks again, man. It's been awesome. Thanks for your ministry. Thanks for letting us be here. Well, you can see why I love Josh Weidman so (laughs) much. Why you fell in love. That's right. right. I love it. That's right. No, he's a great guy. (laughs) Hey, we want to thank another person that I love, Sleeping at Last, for providing all the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Download or stream his music anywhere you can download and stream music. Um. I would love to ask you to rate and review the podcast. It's so encouraging to me. It's so encouraging to Aubrey. 
it to is. our entire team. Every time we have a great review, we all read it. We pass it along to our team. We just say, hey, this is so amazing just to hear how this is impacting you. So please. It really is encouraging just to keep going and to see how God yep. is using the podcast and the ministry itself. Yep. Absolutely. You can also follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. You can follow Davey at Davey Blackburn. You can follow me at Obsamp. And then next week, we have a great series on marriage. Yes, we do. And I want to say that although it's on marriage, it is a series for everybody, That's whether right. you're married, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, everybody. whether you're thinking about marriage, because yep. marriage does impact everyone because we're all around marriages, right? Whether <laughs> or not right. we want to be. That's right. But this is a really powerful series starting with Leslie Vernick. And then we also have a resident counselor with us throughout the whole series. Her name is Nicole Zazowski. Mm-hmm. And she's just going to bring um, some words of wisdom for us at the end of every episode. That's right. That's right. So why don't we just take a listen to a clip from our conversation with Leslie Vernick. I think marriage in in my experience with the church has sort of become sort of the sacred Sabbath that Jesus fought about when he was Mm. in his day and age where they sanctified the Sabbath so much so that the safety of people or the healing of people was not as important as following the rules of the Sabbath so that it didn't break. Remember when Jesus said, hey guys, who wouldn't break the Sabbath if your child or even your ox fell in a hole? Wouldn't you break the Sabbath to save it? And so we've We've created this sanctity of marriage, and I believe in I've been married 45 years to the same person, so I believe in the <laughs> sanctity of marriage. Yeah. But I think we've elevated the sanctity of marriage as an institution above the safety and the sanity of the people in it. Mm-hmm. And so what we've asked women to do, and, and sometimes men, but I mostly work with women, in destructive marriage is to, to lie and pretend. Mm. 